This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I still feel a lot of pressure of like, don't wear something more than once. Like, mm-hmm. OOTD, mm-hmm. like, you still have to keep up with what's trendy. And right now, that is like X, Y, and Z. And then in six months, it could be something totally different, but yeah. you still have to keep up. Like, I almost feel like the pressure is to pretend it's not a problem. <laughs> yeah. And, and ignore that it's like, just building up in a in a landfill somewhere. I'm Lady Hey y'all, and welcome to Unladylike, where we find out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Kristen. I'm Caroline, and our producer, Sam Lee, is here in the studio with us. Welcome, Sam. Hey, thank you. I'm very excited to have escaped from the control room to chat with y'all today. Oh, we're excited too. Uh, So, Sam, you are coming here with a bit of a guilty conscience today. (laughs) It's true. Uh, Ladies, it's been 38 years since my last confession. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Where are we going? (laughs) Well, I think you would call me a compulsive shopper. Mm. I'm one of those people who sees all those Uniqlo, Gap, Madewell deals coming into my inbox, and I cannot control myself. I gotta click. Oh, God, the siren song of Madewell sales? They're serious. So oh. hard to resist. It's always an like extra 40% off. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm trying to resist because this year, as the climate change conversations have gotten louder, I started wondering whether all of my retail therapy was actually killing the planet. Damn. Okay, that's a little dark. <laughs> uh, right. Tell us more. Well, uh, I started noticing people on Instagram posting with the hashtag a year without buying. And when I dug deeper into why they were trying not to buy anything new, I learned that the fashion industry is one of the world's top polluters. So looking at how much clothing was coming into my closet on a regular basis amounted to racks of guilt for me. Pun intended. <laughs> yeah, I mean, over the past couple of years, I've just been trying to stay the hell away from my neighborhood H&M, mm-hmm. partly because, like, those are the things that end up in my Goodwill bag mm-hmm. the fastest. But it is hard to resist sometimes. I know. But Kristen, it's not just consumer waste that's the problem. All of the stuff that we're throwing out is on top of all the stuff that clothing manufacturers throw out before anything even makes it into the store for us to buy and instantly regret. Great. Great. (laughs) Yeah, no, this isn't bleak at all. (laughs) Okay, bleak, sure. But here at Unladylike, we don't run away from the darkness. No, we don't. 
No, I saw a problem and I decided to follow your own advice (laughs) and get unladylike. And in this case, uh, that meant booking an interview with a textile recycling superhero and also facing down mountains of discarded fabric head on. Oh, what a journey you went on. All to find out how the fashion industry is so wasteful, why it's so easy to ignore all that waste, and what we can all do to slow down the trend. Welcome. Hi, my name's Jessica. I'm kind of a trash nerd. (laughs) And for the last five years, I worked in waste management. The most glamorous job ever. Of course. (laughs) You guys probably recognize these materials. Swatches, headers, cutting room scraps. Residents throw out 200,000 tons of clothing and textiles every single year. And for commercial businesses, like the fashion industry, you can multiply that number by 40. So that's 8 million tons wasted annually. That's today's guest, Jessica Schreiber, in a clip from 2016 when she went on Project Runway Fashion Startup. Basically like Shark Tank meets Project Runway. Jessica went on the show to pitch her idea for a textile waste nonprofit called Fab Scrap, and Fashion Startup funded it. Now, FabScrap collects piles and piles of fabric left over from fashion designers and sells it to people who, among other things, want to make their own clothes. Okay, so Sam, you were super excited to introduce us to Jessica. Why did this lady make such an impression on you? (laughs) Well, first of all, Jessica is a font of knowledge when it comes to clothing waste. But honestly, she's also an amazing example of somebody who saw a problem and actually managed to do something about it. Plus, what could be more unladylike than dealing with literal tons of trash? (laughs) Uh, As soon as I found her, I really wanted you guys to meet her. Uh, One, I I love that you associate trash with unladylike. (laughs) And two, I'm also glad that you introduced us to Jessica because we had such a fascinating conversation with her. And something I was not expecting was for her fashion origin story to begin at the dump. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So growing up outside Albuquerque, New Mexico, Jessica and her dad would make weekly trips to the dump because her neighborhood didn't have trash pickup. What difference does it make, do you think, seeing the actual process of disposing of all of this garbage in the same place versus just being able to put it on your curb and never see where it goes? I think sanitation in probably most cities, and especially here in New York, does a really good job of just making it disappear. And the problem with that, while it's, like, really great for sanitation reasons and health reasons and rats and whatever, (laughs) the the problem with that is that, like, a way becomes, like, something we don't think about. And Mm -hmm. there really is no way. When you do see those piles and then you see them cumulatively adding up, um, I think that immediately puts into context, like, how much is created, how often, um, and then thinking about, well, where is it supposed to go or what could be done differently. Jessica went on to grad school at Columbia to study climate and society. She first landed at the New York Department of Sanitation as an intern. That also happened to be the summer the sanitation department launched their refashion program, which collects textiles for reuse or recycling. After her internship, Jessica was hired on full-time to run the program, and that's when she saw firsthand just how big a problem textile waste is. So can you give us an idea of scale? So when you were at the Department of Sanitation, how much clothing or fabric scraps or or textiles basically were coming in? 
Um, we did a waste characterization study, and it was 6% of New York City's trash is clothing, shoes, accessories, which works out to about 200,000 tons every year. So 200,000 tons is 14 times the physical weight of the Brooklyn Bridge. And that's every year, and that's just New York City. These are just the numbers for residential waste. Like, the city doesn't even touch large-scale commercial trash. So I was running the city's clothing recycling program, and slowly um, brands started to reach out and ask, well, what do I do with all of my fabric waste that's not clothing yet? I have extra yardage, or I have fabric swatches from last season, or I have some, like, mock-up samples that aren't finished yet. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? Um, And... What I was hearing was that, like, the volumes of that were really overwhelming. These brands were coming to Jessica with what seemed to her like a big problem, but not one that she could really fix through the sanitation department. So all of this was commercial waste, and all of the ways I was trying to fit it into the city program just didn't work. It's not clothing. The existing nonprofits accepted clothing, or they accepted, like, very specific material things for art. Um, And so all of this material, the volume, and then that it wasn't clothing just wasn't fitting in anywhere. So Jessica decided to be proactive. She gathered representatives from all the brands that had reached out to her. There were 30 in total and pulled them together to talk and try to figure out how the city might be able to help them. And as a credit to those 30 designers who all happened to be women from very competitive companies, they all really collaboratively and non-competitively shared information and data and resources. And that group met three times. Um, and I really wanted to fit it into an existing like thrift store or city structure, and it, it just wasn't working. And here were these like 30 people telling me they wanted to do better and then finding no way for them to actually do better was so frustrating that Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so we'll just have to build it ourselves. (laughs) Nice. Well, maybe I'm being cynical here, but what were the motivations of that initial group? Was it more a sense of eco-consciousness as a business opportunity or was it more pure concern around climate change and waste? I don't think that it had anything to do with marketing or making money. I think this was before we really got to where, like, sustainability was a marketing word. What I was feeling from the group actually was just, like, a lot of guilt. Mm -hmm. Of, like, I think they knew that there was a better option, but it's not, like, their background or training to know what a better option or way was. And fashion tends to be really traditional and, like, this is the way we've done this. And stepping outside of that can be really difficult. So they were telling me stories about, like, hoarding fabric under their desks or they had, like, these closets that were just full of fabric because they felt too bad to throw it away or trying to give it to their kids' school or student groups. And it's – there's just, like, too much. Like, they were probably middle management at a really large corporation, but they still felt that, like, something better could be happening and took a step Um, It wasn't coming top down and it wasn't like they were like building this grassroots thing. They were just like, what is a better way to manage this? Which I think was like interesting just from like where those women were coming from in their careers and 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 the size of the companies that they worked at, that they took that on maybe more personally as a project than they were probably expected to. I think some of them were even there without their company knowing. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, Caroline, the fact that these middle managers were women is not surprising when you look at the stats, because even though, yeah, women make up the vast majority of fashion industry workers and also the vast majority of fashion school students and also the vast majority of people just shopping for clothes, women in the industry run into the fabric ceiling, which I guess is like a softer version of the glass ceiling. Um, Basically, what you need to know is that less than 13% of major clothing companies are run by women. Yeah. So those women who are in middle management, those are the folks who are actually dealing with more of the day-to-day operations and see the waste. But they don't necessarily have the power to do anything about it within the company. Jessica, however, had an idea. With her experience running the New York City textile recycling program combined with the insights from this focus group, she was like, uh, I'll start a company that picks up all that excess fabric, sells it, and recycles what we can't sell. Nowadays, Fabscrap works with about 400 mostly fashion brands, everything from J. Crew and Express to Marc Jacobs and Oscar de la Renta. They also work with interior design companies and the costume and set departments for Broadway plays. The Fabscrap business is catching on like high-waisted leggings. Or like those tiny Matrix glasses that I wish people would stop wearing. Oh, God. Anybody who started a business is going to hate what I'm about to say. No, no. <laughs> and that, like, we have done no sales or recruiting to businesses. Um, and I would like to take credit for that and just say, like, that's how great the service is. But I actually think, like, that's how pervasive the problem is. Mm-hmm. And more and more people are, like, recognizing the problem. And so what was once, like, low-hanging fruit of businesses who got it, like, more fruit is dropping, like, daily. And so more and more companies are starting to understand their impact and want to do something, even if they're not ready to talk about it yet. Um, it has all been word of mouth. Um, and so, yeah, we've we've grown really, really quickly. How much fabric has Fabscrap kept out of landfills? Um, we are just over 400,000 pounds um, in the three years we've been operational. So we've collected that much, um, but only 3% of that 400,000 went to landfill um, in the last three years, which is exciting. How many Brooklyn bridges is that? (laughs) (laughs) When we come back, producer Sam takes a field trip to the Fab Scrap Warehouse to see all that waste in person. Don't go away. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. We're back, and so is producer Sam. It's me. Hello. (laughs) So, Sam, you have actually seen Jessica's fabric waste-saving operation with your own eyes, right? It's true. I took a field trip all the way out to the deep, deep depths of Brooklyn to visit the Fab Scrap Warehouse. Okay, honestly, it's like a five-minute drive from my apartment. (laughs) (laughs) But, Sam, honestly, like, no matter how far away that warehouse was, you would have gone because you were super excited about it. So... 
what were you hoping to see? Well, Jessica mentioned how actually seeing the mounds of trash, or in this case, fabric scraps, really drives home the extent of our waste issues. So I wanted to go look my waste in the face. Okay, well, tell us about the space and what was it like to face that waste? (laughs) Okay, so uh, the Fab Scrap Warehouse is part of the Brooklyn Army Terminal, which is a huge warehouse complex. And when you walk into their space, you're immediately confronted with a massive pile of black trash bags. We're talking floor to ceiling, and all of those black trash bags are filled with fabric scraps. So like a mountain of fabric trash. (laughs) Yes, except not trash. It's going to get reused. (laughs) A mountain of fabric resources. Um, A mountain of fabric opportunity. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Jessica estimated that the weight of that trash bag mountain was somewhere between 65 and 70,000 pounds. And they're picking up new bags every week. So basically Jessica's goal right now is just to sort more than they can bring in so that pile does not continue growing. Okay, this this is reminding me of how I'm trying to manage my email inbox. Um, th- this really sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it is a lot of work. Volunteers come out to the warehouse every single day to sort that big pile of trash bags, and they get paid in fabric. On the day that I was there, a group of fashion students from Pratt was pitching in. How do you feel looking around right now, seeing this mountain of bags, seeing these students here? <laughs> Um, I mean, it's, I get really excited when there's people who are like going through all the usable fabric and getting excited because I think, I think the misconception is like different from other thrift stores where stuff is used. Like all of this is brand new and it's really sad that it would have gone to landfill. And so I think this is really eye opening for students to understand waste and see it in this volume, but then immediately like two feet away also see it as a resource. So understanding that like what was coming in as trash for recycling like also has so much usable potential and it's within feet of each other that they're seeing that distinction and I think it's really exciting they're gonna go be interns at brands or start their own lines and so for them to have this experience and that information can really like produce a lot of change as they as they grow in the industry and share. Okay, Sam, so is the whole warehouse just trash bags? No. No, so along the walls, there's also shelves of fabric for sale, and that includes actual full rolls of fabric and also uh, fabric remnants that are, you know, maybe one to three yard cuts. They have yarn. They've got zippers. They've got buttons. It's like a Joanne Fabrics if the fabric at Joanne Fabrics was castaways from (laughs) Marc Jacobs and priced at $5 a pound. And because it's so inexpensive, uh, that means it moves pretty quickly. So one of the things that, like, fast fashion does as a trick is, like, change its windows every two weeks. So you always feel like there's something new and you have to buy before you miss out. And we, like, very naturally have that same process because what we get is so limited in quantity. When it's gone, it's gone. That, like, if you see something you like, there's a real, like, urge to, like, get it now. Yeah, there's a real urgency, I think, when you find something you like to actually act on it. I definitely feel that. Yeah, it definitely worked on me. I brought home seven pounds of fabric from that warehouse. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a lot, but it's better than buying new stuff at the Gap, Sam. Exactly. Because that could have been seven pounds of fabric that was in the trash instead. And now I'm going to make my own new cute clothes out of it. I got some gold brocade, which is perfect for the holiday season. I think I'll make a skirt so I can wear it to holiday parties. And I got this knit that's printed with airplanes. Uh, It's 
so cute. And I'm going to make it into a sweater. Uh, I can't wait to see pics on Instagram. But you mentioned that all of this sorting is still happening by hand. And that kind of old school workflow is something that we wanted to talk to Jessica about, too. In reality, textiles are now a waste stream and a commodity more similar to glass or plastic or paper. And all of those recycling um, technologies and companies have been private for a while. And that's also why they're further along. Like Mm. plastic sorting is really cool. It goes down this conveyor belt and lasers shine through it and then puffs of air We'll separate it based on, like, what the laser reads is what type of plastic it is. Like, plastic recycling (laughs) is really amazing. And textile recycling, like, is still a person picking it up and, like, reading it or feeling it, like, one by one. It's, like, decades behind. When volunteers are sorting, one of the things they're looking at is fabric type and keeping their eyes peeled for one particularly problematic material. We can't shred and recycle spandex. Um, So we are sorting out spandex, even if it's like 1% spandex. What is the deal with spandex? Like, why can't you recycle it? Um, So we're saying recycling, but what's really happening is like we're shredding it and it's becoming insulation. So it's a little bit more downcycling. Recycling would really be like fabric back into fabric. Um, Not quite there yet. So in that shredding process that happens, um, spandex melts. Um, as opposed mm. to acting like another fiber that would just kind of pull apart into smaller and smaller pieces. So spandex, because it's not a fiber, it's like an additive to the fiber blend, behaves in a way that's like problematic. And that's also why we can't shred leather, because leather is not a fiber, it's a skin. So what I'm hearing is that my athleisure... Oh, it's troublesome. Oh. <laughs> I know, as soon as we... In reading up the the... Note about spandex jumped out, and I was like, Caroline. Because <laughs> I was, like, leggings. wearing my leggings. I was like, oh, no. Well, and everything, <laughs> like, these jeans I'm wearing have a everything percent of spandex, spandex in them. in it these days. Yeah. Um, I mean, part of that is I think we've evolved as consumers to want things that are comfortable and, like, move in a way that, like, clothing didn't used to. Like, I don't know. I look back at photos from the 90s, and my jeans were so stiff. Yeah, oh, <laughs> like, yeah. So Straight boxy. and yeah. stiff. Yeah, like, they weren't, like, we didn't, like, expect them to, like, fit in the way that we do now. And so there's spandex in almost every fabric that we've seen. And sometimes it's really hard to avoid. Um I have I have leggings like everybody has workout clothes. So just maybe making the investment in the spandex that's going to last the longest so you can continue to use it. And it's not something that it's like after a couple gym sessions like that pair's done. Um, that's happened. <laughs> I'm like, how long can I wear this pair of yeah. uh, workout pants that has a hole I literally in the crotch? Yeah, yeah. As long as your underwear matches. <laughs> yeah. Caroline, you have a lot of black underwear to match those workout leggings. Also, what other types of clothes are the most problematic in terms of waste? I mean, definitely the fast fashion mm-hmm. because it just like doesn't last as long. And I think people, when you pay $5 for something, you kind of get that like its resale value is not that great. And so there's not a lot of attempt to consign it or keep it or pass it down or even swap it. It's like the planned obsolescence thing. Mm-hmm. Is that like a phrase you guys have heard? Okay, so. Okay, no, I, I don't oh, know. Yeah. yeah. So like. <laughs> Educate me. Um, Planned obsolescence is the idea that, like, if a company makes a product knowing in the ways that it will wear out or become obsolete, then that means they can resell another one. Um, and so, like, H&M or fast fashion in general is, like, 
they've perfected that Mm -hmm. process and that like trends move so fast they're moving new things to their store every two weeks and because it wears out quickly and it's obsolete in terms of like style or fashion then it's being disposed of and those way too disposable clothes are a lot likelier to belong to women Men, I don't know if it's just because trends don't change as fast or they keep their clothes longer or there's less, like, style change or fit changes, but, like, like men's clothing is not as robust. That is such a good point. And so interesting because think about it just from – think about it just from the fashion perspective. Like, men's fashions, TBH – haven't really changed since like 1800. You know what I mean? Like they're they're just still wearing suits and ties. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also they have less styles. Like for yeah. example, mm-hmm. my husband's always like when you get dressed, you could wear a skirt or a dress or a shirt or like pants and shorts. Like you have all of these options. Like I have pants or shorts. Like, they just don't have as many different options for, like, what's socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so even just by that, like, their quantity is lower. So, Caroline, let's talk about how fast fashion happened in the first place. Because, get this, in her book, Fashionopolis, journalist Dana Thomas reports that we buy five times more clothing each year than folks did back in 1980. Yeah, I mean, by the time the mid-90s rolled around, 140 new malls were being built every year. Going to the mall was America's new favorite pastime. Oh my God, Mall Madness! <laughs> I I feel like I am Generation Mall Madness. And when I was in high school, way back in 1998, I actually worked at Old Navy. It was there that I saw firsthand how well the fashion marketing machine worked. Every time they would air a new item of the week commercial, that item would immediately sell out. Oh, I remember Old Navy in the late 90s because those items of the week were on trend, but they were also super cheap. And if we just look at other bigger stores and brands like an Old Navy at this time, their prices were dropping because the price of making their clothes was dropping with clothing manufacturing moving overseas where they could pay garment workers less. Plus, technology advancements at the time also allowed retailers to design, make, and ship their clothes much faster to both create demand and respond to it. So by the time you saw a picture of a celeb on the red carpet or a model on the runway, stores like Zara, Forever 21, and H&M were already in the process of knocking off the design and sending it to stores. In Zara's case, if designs are successful, they get to live on the racks for about a month tops before they're replaced by even newer looks. And that is a big way to keep shoppers coming back. And that's also a big reason why the dude who owns Zara is among the 10 richest men in the world. Must be nice. So how can we break that cycle? When we come back, y'all, we'll find out what we can do on the individual level to truly clean out our closets. Stick around. You don't have to start by, like, changing the whole system because, yes, the whole system's really big. 
So finding like the thing that resonates with you, for me it was trash, but maybe it is like finding a way to purchase clothing where you're looking at the company's labor practices or you're looking at like, is it natural or synthetic? And like finding the thing that like really resonates with you and what you're passionate about and just making that change first. We're back with Jessica Schreiber of FabScrap, who has definitely found what resonates with her. Yeah, and sustainability is also resonating more within the fashion industry as a business opportunity. Yeah, brands are recognizing a generational shift that seems to be happening. Um, you know, our, our generation mall madness seems to be coming to a close. And surveys consistently find that millennials and Gen Z shoppers are more committed to sustainable clothing. But I know for me, at least, like, a big problem is affordability. I think in general, like, sustainability has an access issue. Um, and so right now I do feel like being able to shop sustainably is kind of a more privileged thing to be able to, like, I'm going to shop my values. Like, that's something that not everybody can do. Um However, there's like definitely a resurgence in thrift. And mm-hmm. so you can find really nice things that are affordable. Thrifting, I think, has kind of lost its stigma. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, it's dirty and it's used. So like thrifting is a way to consciously still indulge your shopping habits. (laughs) Um, I also think there's ways to just like learn more about making clothing last longer and shopping more responsibly, picking pieces so that you can wear them multiple seasons or in multiple ways. And then also like learning about the fabric so you can care for it. If those key pieces last longer, you can just buy Mm. your like H&M necklace that's going to like accent this appropriately or whatever it is. You can just buy one or two key pieces instead of several shirts every month. Yeah, I definitely try to take care of my stuff. It's just sometimes uh, I lose control of my thighs and they rub a (laughs) hole in in the legs of my pants. That can't be helped. Oh, Caroline, uh, me too. I currently am wearing a skirt because my black jeans have two holes in the crotch. But you know what? (laughs) That can be helped because almost any dry cleaner or tailor will patch those thigh holes for you. My black jeans are currently at the tailor getting fixed. Well, and this is such a helpful reminder that we can make our clothes last longer because on average, Americans wear something just seven times before retiring it. And real talk, y'all, I have a lot of clothes that I have not worn anywhere close to to seven times. So, Sam, do you have any other tricks up your tailored sleeve for how we can take better care of our wardrobes? You bet I do. Let's play a little round of unladylike home ack. Or shall I say home ack? As in ack, my clothes are destroying the planet and I don't know what to do about it. Cue the game show music. (laughs) Come on down, Kristen and Caroline. Okay. So the soles of your boots wear out. What are you going to do? Okay, I might double up my socks, but then if it rains, I'm out of luck. Uh, I I know I'm not supposed to say this, but throw them out. No, you take them to a cobbler. Then you can say you have a cobbler, which is a very adult thing to have. Um, Honestly, the only cobbler I've I've ever had is the the kind that I eat. (laughs) Alone in a room. Okay, moving on. Uh, Next question. You have a sweater. It is very pilly. What are you going to do? Okay, well, obviously, you don't get rid of the sweater. You just embrace the look and rock that pilly sweater, right? Or, I don't know, give it to your dog? (laughs) I'm sure my dog Penny would look fetching in my old Madewell, but no. 
let me tell you about a handy-dandy item called a sweater stone. It basically looks like a pumice stone that you might use on your feet, but you rub that on your sweater and it takes off all those pills Mm. for you. Ugh, Sam, I need to get a sweater stone ASAP. Also wish I'd had one my freshman year of high school when this very rude girl gave me the up-down and said, how long have you had your sweater? It's really pilly. Damn, rude. She should have just thrown you a sweater stone, Kristen. Or handed me one. I <laughs> yeah. give me a black eye. Well, you've already said she's rude. I'm sure she would have thrown it. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> okay, final question. You are trying not to wash your clothes as much, but they're starting to smell a little funky. How do you handle it? Um, douse them in Febreze and put them in the microwave. <laughs> Honestly, could work. Uh, (laughs) I was going to give you a more simple tip, and that is grab yourself a cheap handle of vodka, pour some in a spray bottle, dilute it with water, and you spray that right on your stinky fabrics. It kills the germs and gets rid of the smells. Just, you know, leave it air out a little bit so you don't smell like a alcoholic when you walk into work. I mean, what would the difference be, really, on any given Tuesday? I mean, Sam, I do think that's my favorite cleaning fact, though. Whatever works. Whatever works. <laughs> okay, so I know how to preserve my clothes a little better, thanks to Sam and her game show. But, Sam, another thing I've done is actually halted shopping for brand new clothes altogether. Like, now when I do shop, I'm perusing resale sites, places like ThreadUp, which, yes, has been an unladylike sponsor, and Poshmark. Yeah, and you also, Caroline, are really good about selling your clothes as well. I'm broke. I got to get money. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and those new resale sites are something we definitely wanted to ask Jessica Schreiber about as well. Do you see... The rise of resale and like online thrift as a positive development in all this? Yes. So this is like signaling that like this isn't trash, like these materials still have value, whether or not you're continuing to use them. And so I think like that it's extending the life of those items and making them more accessible and giving people access to new clothing in a way that it's not requiring new resources. I think, I think though, that whole resale system is a little bit of a double-edged sword. Um, I don't I don't know if there's been a full environmental assessment of the shipping yeah. back and forth <laughs> of all of these things everywhere. Um, and so I don't know if that's fully part of the, like, environmental accounting. Well, politically, what are the big changes you're seeing in this space? Like, not even just in the U.S., but abroad. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about um, France just passed textile EPR. Um, EPR stands for Extended Producer Responsibility, which basically says, like, if you're making fabric or making clothing, like, you have a responsibility for its end of life and what happens to it and whether or not it's recyclable. The other big, like, political piece that affects all of this is so much of our used clothing is donated slash recycled by actually just moving it to another country. Mm -hmm. Um, And because the volume of that has increased so drastically and most of that volume is now fast fashion and the quality kind of sucks, um, a lot of those countries are considering not accepting any more imports of clothing. Um, And so that is going to drastically change how we choose to deal with it here. Yeah, because then it's going to be like 
back in Albuquerque where it's, we're gonna have to it's gonna be in our face yeah Yeah. we're gonna have to deal with like the volume and and where it goes yeah Hmm. not to suggest that Albuquerque is full of trash no no but you (laughs) (laughs) breaking bad would have you think (laughs) and maybe having that fashion waste in our face like all of those garbage bags in the fab scrap warehouse could actually help with some accountability Yeah, and Jessica's hopeful that can translate to the consumer side, too. I think in a lot of ways, fashion kind of traces that. And, like, we've now really come to understand, like, what we eat is important. What we put in our body is important. And I think the next step is, like, what I put on my body and, like, next to my skin for 12 or something hours a day is important. And so I I don't know if we're as quick on the uptake as we could be, but it's there's a shift for sure. Jessica, we have one final question for you, and it is one that we ask all of our unladylike guests. Okay. <laughs> what is the most unladylike thing about you? I'm almost always carrying some thing that I'm just waiting to dispose <laughs> of properly. And sometimes those things are just like in the context. I'm like, if they knew what was in my bag right now. <laughs> so I think I think what you're saying is you're maybe always carrying around a little bit of trash. Always. <laughs> <laughs> but aren't we all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Emotionally, <laughs> emotionally, definitely. A lot of emotional garbage. Okay, Sam, Caroline, we have been talking about such a huge issue, which is fashion waste. And um, honestly, like all of us are contributors, everyone who wears clothes, all the governments who aren't doing anything, and brands who are still skating by. Um, but. The conversation with Jessica, I know, has gotten me thinking a lot about my clothing habits, and I'm curious how y'all are feeling about your closets. Well, Kristen, talking with Jessica convinced me that I needed to do less laundry. Um, I've already, since we talked to her, I've already cut back on, like, the amount of laundry loads I've done because I don't want my clothes to wear out. Caroline, I've been doing that, too. And let me tell you that um, I just love a great excuse to be like, you know what? No, I shouldn't do laundry today. (laughs) But but Sam, what about you? Uh, For me, I honestly have really stopped buying new clothes. Um, It's been months since I last bought anything new, I think. Um, Sam, Sam, this is kind of huge, right? It's a really big deal. Yeah, this is like prime Uniqlo season for me. (laughs) I haven't bought a goddamn thing at Uniqlo this winter, and I'm very excited about that. Um, And then, like I mentioned in the episode, I have started sewing my own clothes, which honestly, I think that's a huge reason why I haven't been buying as many new clothes, because I've been kind of channeling that energy into buying fabric (laughs) and patterns, um, which, you know, is maybe not as great on my wallet, but it does mean like that I will be making things and not buying new things instead. Sam, it's pretty inspirational. Sam, uh, I'm proud of you. Thank you. That's huge. Well, um, ladies, we want to know from y'all whether you've been struggling with all of the conversation around the environment and fashion and fast fashion in particular. Have you been thinking about it? Have you been troubleshooting it in your own ways? Email us at hello at unladylike.co or hit us up on social at unladylikemedia or find the thread, get it, for this episode in our private Facebook group. 
Head over to unladylike.co to find the sources and the transcript for this episode. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter to get actually good news about women in the world delivered to your inbox every Wednesday. Sam Lee and Nora Ritchie are our producers. Abigail Keel is a senior producer of Unladylike. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. Additional editing this week from Tracy Samuelson. Shruti Marate transcribes our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Mixing, sound design, and additional music is by Casey Holford. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Daisy Rosario. Special thanks to Andy at Stitcher. And we are your hosts, Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin. Next week... I mean, can you honestly imagine Kendall Jenner ever talking about pooping? I don't think so. But guess what? (laughs) Guess what? She shits just like you and me. She's had her asshole completely lasered off. (laughs) Yes, y'all. It's going to be a real shit show. (laughs) Make sure you're subscribed to Unladylike so you don't miss this episode. Seriously, even though it's about poop, don't be scared to listen. It's going to be great. Find us in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. And remember, got a problem? Get unladylike. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Are you okay? <laughs> what just happened? Did you just fall? Hello? <laughs> Are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah. yeah. Are you on the ground? No, totally. As you were. Oh god. What happened? <laughs> what just happened? Kristen. Kristen was trying to delicately step out of the room to go to the bathroom. <clears throat> <laughs> she didn't make it. <laughs> Stitcher. <laughs>